Who wants, Daddy, who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants coffee? And now, it's time for the man with the caffeine. The new tropics for the brain. It's Coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. Hey everybody, welcome back to Java Chat. This is Coffee with Mike, and today I get to sit with one of the co-founders of Prod Perfect, a gentleman over there by the name of Eric Fogg. Eric, thanks for joining us today on Java Good. Chat. Good morning, Mike. Uh, thank you for having me. Very excited. Oh yeah, this is we during the pre-show. We were already rapping and just like vibing. I swear, it's it was almost like when Keanu Reeves met with Billy, when they just sat in the back and just started vibing out. We were just we we just been going back and forth since we. <laughs> Well, it's, what's really funny is, is, you know, somebody that people in my company are really young and like, they'll roll their eyes at this, but like, one of the things we were bonding over is we were like dunking on Windows Vista and like, and how it's a Ram hawk. It's just like, <laughs> oh my God, Vista, oh, Vista was one of my best nightmares ever. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> the shell was so heavy. And then when they came out with uh, Millennium or whatever it was called, the next one before uh, Seven came out, I was sitting there going, T? And oh, and then there was NT. Remember, there oh, were two NT of them. Whole system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and they both sucked. And I was sitting there, it's like, and, and Microsoft, I don't care if you want to hear this or not. It did. It sucked. And I'm glad you guys got your shit together. But yeah. 10 hasn't gotten that much better. Anyway, um, <laughs> you, you, would, you would think a lot, of, a lot of millennials will just sit there and they will still be rolling their eyes at us as they yeah. watch this and go, these old men, they know nothing. Um, I, I, will, I, will, I will say, I. I am officially millennial. I, uh, I think, yeah, I think I'm officially millennial. I was born in '87, which I think like puts me puts me smack dab into it. And I think, yeah, because '84 was the cusp of the of the the Z of the uh, X, X millennial. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I when I was in when I was in college, the the like just graduated folks gave us a whole all a hard time for being like like these days it's like Republicans that 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 get a rap for calling everyone snowflakes, but it was in in the 2000s it was just gen xers they would like call <laughs> everyone younger than them that like didn't understand their way of thinking about the world like punk rock and spiky hair and such <laughs> everyone was a snowflake <laughs> what's well, what's really funny is that um everybody you know there's boomers and then there's the gen xers and and we got the reputation of they're the ones that just don't care yeah I, and it's like well, if you look at the if you look at the way things kind of played out, the boomers took all the executive positions and never moved. They died in their chairs if they haven't yet. Um, nothing against the boomers. You guys are valuable. We love you. you guys, we needed you around. Um, but it left us to nothing but middle management and grinding and a ton of entrepreneurship because we got tired of the corporate crap. Yeah. And then the millennials came along and we looked at them and we said, okay, you guys are just way too soft. You, you, you guys worry more about mental mental health and wellness than we do. I mean, we were told, and, and although it's a joke, it's it's quite often referred back to, you know, if you have a problem, okay, cool. Give me 10, yeah. take a lap, you know, run it off, walk it off, get outside, go go be with nature, go do something, you know, productive for yourself. Um, and, and self-care was not a big thing for us. I mean, it's the reason that so many of us were kind of repressed and angry. <laughs> Well, I, I do think it, this is actually possibly a good segue because it's a it's it is something that 
you know, I'm, I'm sort of in charge of talent in my company. Mm -hmm. And, and what that does mean is like, I do have a, a sort of responsibility for in part, I think for like the, the mental, emotional, psychological health of my employees. And it's, it's important today. I mean, we've, we've even gotten to that point where it's like, okay, so now we have, now we have availability of this. So how are you, how are you tasked with, cause you're, you're talking about helping with mental health health while still managing personalities. Cause you're in charge of talent. Right. So how does, how does that work? Right. Well, one thing, one thing I think that's really important is, is to know that I am not, not the company therapist. And, <laughs> and oh, I bet, I bet that's an easy trap to fall into. It's a super easy trap to fall into. I actually have to like, I have to remind myself not to do it. And a big reason I need to not be people's company therapist is I'm also the person telling people that they didn't meet expectations, this performance review. Right. So like I am often the source of people's mental, <laughs> mental anxiety. And, um, and so I think the, the thing that we rely on is like, uh, you know, enablement and, and, and ultimately like radical, radical self-responsibility. Sure. And so I, I think like one of the things that makes prod perfect great, um, is we, it's one of the cool things about starting a startup is you can sort of like set the tone right away mm -hmm. if you're conscious about it. Mm -hmm. um that that we said like look people are people need to be radically responsible for their success their hitting their goals and that doesn't mean you're on your own and i think that and oh, sorry and also your your health yeah right and that doesn't mean you're on your own that doesn't mean i'm gonna set you some goals and like you need to like radically shut the f up and get it done i mean like you need to radically raise your hand if it's not working and and reach out for help and um and so a big part of what we're doing is like investing in um, we, we, we reinvested in, in how we spend for benefits and, and brought some of that on board. Um, a, but a big thing of what I'm trying to do to sort of empower people is not so much to give them the time because they have the time, not give them the monetary resources because they have the monetary resources, but give them inspiration. Nice. Um, and so a big thing that <clears throat> I do is I talk, I talk a lot about all of the like mental health stuff that I deal with in front of the company to like normalize it, to help everyone know like, okay, this is okay. This is happy. You know, everyone's an iceberg, right? It's like, Eric's got all this stuff under the surface too. Yeah. He's like a big, you know, like, and I, I'm trying to like demystify myself as a founder a little bit that like, I'm also kind of like, uh, you know, my brain is also like a, a box of ferrets, right. That are sometimes like fighting with each other and mm -hmm. things go wrong. Um, mm. so I talk about, you know, I talk with my team about therapy that I go to. I talk with them about like, I was drinking too much and I decided to stop. And I like talk to them about that journey. Um, stuff like that. And I think that is, that has inspired people just to know like, oh, okay, these are ways that I can take action. I can talk to my peers about it. I can go get help about it. And, um, and I'm not alone. And that, that combined with like really, really good recruiting has a group of people that take responsibility for their own health and well-being. Okay. So let's back up a second. Mm. You're the, you're one of the co-founders. Yes. How'd you get here? I mean, mm. the, the, the passion is obvious. I mean, you're, you, you, I'm, I'm being sincere. The passion is obvious, but your background, your, your, your origins, if you will, um, uh, per our conversation does, I don't know. Does it really, it doesn't really 
align with, I mean, this is, this sounds like you kind of took a radical change here into something awesome. Where, where did this all start? Where'd you, I mean, how'd you, how'd you do this? You're absolutely right. I do not have, I, I actually, one of the, it's no longer a secret. It used to be, but like one of the once dirty secrets of prod perfect, like we're a deep, deep tech machine learning dev tools company, right? Like this is, this is, we are engineering stuff for engineers. Nice. Um, so it's, it's tough. And I failed. I literally failed my intro to software or intro to computer science class at MIT. Um, so, so first semester we have passed no record, so it's not on my transcript, but I literally <laughs> did not score enough to pass. Wow. Um, and so I, I had to, I, I didn't have to, but like at that moment I was like, Oh God, maybe I'm not going to be a software engineer. And I was right. I'm not going to be a software engineer. <laughs> I studied mechanical engineering after that. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And out of school, I got into, actually, I want to back up a little bit. Well, no, I'll, I'll, I'll back up a sec. So out of school, I ended up. Uh, becoming an operations and management consultant for like factories. Of so course. Not, these, these weren't like boardroom meetings. Like I was wearing, you know, Carhartts and helmets and like yeah. steel toed shoes and fixing like milk plants and refineries and stuff like sure. that. Like, and really loved it. I think I was yeah. really good at it. So, real quick leading up to that, I grew up like, I grew up on a small farm in Pennsylvania. Um, my, Nobody in my family got into college. Like, it's a very American dreamy kind of story. Sure. Um, and well, I hell, think MIT? Hell yeah, that's a dreamy. Are you kidding? Right. And, and I think the really key, I think the really key thing for me, and this like really inspires how I even think about like politics and policy, the big thing for me, because like, no, I didn't like, I, I didn't go to an exceptionally great school, right? It was just like a rando you know, <clears throat> rural public school. But um, the, the X factor for me was my mom who like at times a bit of a tiger mom, right? When I was 14, it was driving me nuts, but, but she really, really cared about my education and in particular cared about pushing me, not letting me be comfortable, um, finding ways for me to be challenged because school wasn't doing it enough. And that I think like made me curious enough that, that this whole series of events got me into MIT, got me to that degree and got me into this consulting firm. I was running around fixing factories and it was there that I actually got passionate about leading my own team. Um, and in particular, that firm Stroud was, was, was more than anywhere else I've ever, I've seen since, including my own company, big on personal and professional development. Um, and like being radically honest with feedback, being radically, uh, being like radically present in these conversations with your manager. So you can really dig up stuff and Absolutely. have very vulnerable conversations. Yep. And I, I wanted to carry that forward here. Now the real quick bounce around of how I got from there to here is um, I ended up leaving because I knew I wanted to start my own company, leave my own team. I got invited to start a, uh, a robotics company from another MIT grad. It did not go well, but I learned some cool stuff there. I, I'm sorry, but it did not go well. We quickly learned it was a bad idea after only raising like 50 grand or something. So like, that's a win, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, and so we closed up shop, but that's where I met Dan, who's my CEO. Cause I hired him as my software engineer. He and I became best friends. He and I have been talking about like how to fix the world for a long time. And he pitched me on prod perfect by saying look the software world like like software engineers they get joy and like they get joy and energy out of building great products and they get like they get weighed down and ground down and burnt out 
by all of the BS around that. So it's all sorts of things like, you know, some of it's meetings, some of it is, uh, you know, some of it's this, that, and the other, and some of it is QA. And I think I know how to fix the QA problem. And, uh, and, and it took him a long time to, to actually convince me on this because I didn't know anything about software. So I didn't just, I just didn't, you know, I couldn't develop for myself the thesis that this was going to be a good idea. Um, but he ended up selling me on it. He said, like, I want you to be the business half co-founder, right? Sure. Be the, be the Steve Ballmer to my, um, uh, to my Bill Gates. Nice. And I was like, all right, great. I'm in. Let's go. That's awesome. So you guys ended up starting ProdPerfect, which is a development company for developers. Did I say that right? More or less. We, we engineer <laughs> tools for engineers. And I only want to like emphasize that in particular because like it requires a, you know, our product, which I know we'll, we'll talk about it more later, but it's, a, it's an autonomous testing tool for gotcha. our cu customers' web applications. So basically like you, rather than, get your engineers to do a bunch of QA. You just plug in ProdPerfect to use a bunch of machine learning magic that again, we can discuss later if we have time um, to autonomously test your application to make sure you didn't break anything. And so it's like, it's like deeply integrated into CI, deeply integrated into like deployment processes and, um, and like highly dependent on like how, you know, highly dependent on how our customers set up their, uh, their like test data management process and all sorts of other stuff. So this is all stuff that like I had to learn really quick what it meant because oh, yeah. like, I didn't know anything. That's a that's a a monumental task when you have to step into a new realm. What's really cool is that is you you eventually took the mantle and said, "Screw it, let's see what happens," and and went after it. And now it's apparently succeeding, which is good. That's good news. Um, the I'm I'm still reeling on the fact that because I have friends that are from MIT too, and Every one of them's amazing. I, I one's a walking encyclopedia, and he's well into his I think late sixties now. And he absorb he still to this day absorbs information instantaneously. You tell him something, he's like, "Oh, did you know?" And then I'm sitting here going, "Where do you store all this, dude? Because yeah. like, do you have a hard drive on you somewhere?" Exactly. Because he like he like read that once when he was thirty one. Yeah, and and already knows the theory behind it. I mean, I, he probably knew about fiber optics before they had glass being made. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> um, but so you've come you've come into co-founding with your partner. Um, he's obviously the the programming side of things. You said you're the business side of things. He's the brains of it. Yeah, he's the brains. Of okay, cool. When you look at where you guys started to where you guys are right now. And where you're headed, what do you think the trajectory is of Prod Perfect as 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 it relates to your industry, and as it relates to how it's going to affect uh, the rest of the world? Because you did mention before you did want to you did want to do good. So how does totally. how does that work? Yeah, I uh, so so I'll be I'll be really transparent that we actually so in our first uh, we sold our first deal like six months in long before there was a product right but we were like very transparent about the fact that like hey we're gonna like use we're gonna like gather some data from your application and use some data science to inform like Mike over here right not actually Mike but but uh, inform Mike over here how to like how to write tests for your application we're gonna like experiment on this and they're like great you know and they paid us like a couple thousand bucks a month for it because it was they were like, they, they knew Dan and they trusted him and knew Dan was a great engineer. 
And like, so we get our first customer in like mid 2018. And after that, it looked like just hardcore, endless exponential growth. Um, wow. And oh yeah, it was, uh, we, we, we were, we were totally going to be the next, I don't even know what, but, uh, but like we were like IPO in three or four years at billions of dollars kind of thing. Um, and we had some very excited uh, uh, VCs and the really, the the thing I think that makes us special today is like not that we did that. Um, <clears throat> some of it was just like I had to like I think like my consulting experience helped me because like back in consulting like I just show up to an oil refinery and like within a couple weeks become the expert on oil refining and so and so like I was able to try to like as an outsider like get in the head of the buyer and and not in a not in a, like a tricky way but in a like what do they really need kind of way yeah anyway so like sales was going really well and then. Uh, just when the pandemic happened, a, some massive tech debt essentially blew up our product. Um, wow. and, and everything looked like, it looked like it was the perfect storm. Everything looked like it was going to crash down all at once. Um, and we had to, it was the worst thing. I, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And one I still feel bad about is we, we were a team of 40. We laid off people until we were down to 15, um, so core skeleton crew, um, yeah. carrying this forward. Of those 15, 14 of them are still with us. Um, and because they just like hunkered down and and like this is where like some of that like cohesion and like emotional oh, yeah. resiliency stuff that we had been working on really paid off. Um, because we had to we had to reform everything. We had to reform the product, we had to reform how we sold it because we were demanding too much of the product because like people who know a lot about testing know that there's so much variability between how you set up your test infrastructure. We're like, okay, what kind of test infrastructure can we sell to right now? So long story short is we went through a period of what looks, what appears to be contraction, right? If you just look at like the, the revenue numbers, we contracted from, uh, let's see, early 2020 to really the end of 2020. Um, and, you know, there was like, there was legitimate doubt by our investors about whether sure. we could carry the ship forward. And, you know, we essentially, we laid out a plan and asked for time. Um, and I think like our saving grace at that point was that, the state of the thing, it was like, it was, it's like, it would be like replacing surgeons in the middle of surgery or something. Ooh. Like you just couldn't, you just wouldn't be able to do it. And so like, that's probably the thing that kept us around was that, yeah, even if this is an idiot surgeon, like nobody else would be able to pick this up and run with it. So long story short is like, it was, I think through our resiliency and our, our, you know, essentially our talent um, and like a lot of stoicism by Dan, our CEO. So I'm the emotional founder. He's the stoic founder and he's an engineer. What do you want? Yeah, exactly. And, um, <laughs> and so, and so we, we got back on the exponential growth path in like Q2 2021. Um, and we are intentionally growing a little bit more slowly now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, because yeah, we just don't want to flame out. Um, but we, we are, you know, so like, you know, all, all exponents have a, a correlate on them. So the correlate on this exponent is a little smaller. Um, and uh, but yeah, we're back on the exponential growth curve. So what that means for us is like, you know, we're in the, we're in the couple millions between one and 10 in ARR. Um, we need to go get our series B, build out a much bigger like AI based team. And so our, we anticipate, um, right now we anticipate like we can really put on the gas because we'll have, a, a we'll achieve a level of scalability that we don't have yet. Um, especially like for the sales team, just be able to go sell to anyone. Sure. Um, in late 2022. 
Um, and then we just go take over the whole world. The, the, the one thing about like through all of this, I think the one, the thing that like kept everyone, including the investors on board was that our customers keep saying, this feels like magic. It shouldn't work. It doesn't make sense that it work, that it works. The technology shouldn't be ready yet. Um, nobody should be able to do this. So we get a lot of skepticism in sales and I have to teach people about how to deal with that. Um, but then like, once people get their hands on it, they're like, this is a, this is a miracle. Like I used to have to hire a QA team that was like, 20% of my entire team. And now I don't, and now most, it just works. Most people don't realize this is exactly how far along AI's come. Um, and the ability to engineer, I mean, after reading the book, deep neural networks, um, which by the way, anybody can find online, it's free. Yeah. Um, once you understand the thinking behind deep neural networks and what it can do, and you see some of the programming behind it, any engineer would look at that and go, Wait, that's it? Yeah, I can do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I was gonna say I can do that. They can do that. I can't do that. But I, they can do I, that. I can't either. But I. But the, the way that book is actually written, it's written for both programmers and executives. So from an executive standpoint, as a consultant, I looked at it and I was like, "Oh, no, this isn't. This isn't half of what they've tried to make it out to be, which is this huge, you know, ether kind of thing." And it's like, "No, this ain't ether. This is just redesigning a brain, just using a machine." Yeah. And, and I think that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah. Well, I think that I think that that like sense of mystification, right, is something that I run into a lot in in my role as like I'm also head of sales that I'm often kind of disappointed about. And you and I riffed about this earlier that like I think engineers are a little bit prone to, and so does Dan, a little bit prone to like cargo cult thinking and like and other and other like irrational stuff when they should, you know, when when you'd expect that they're always the ones just saying like, how do I understand this? How do I push the bounds of this? But I do know sometimes I talk to like, I talk to execs, really smart folks who are, you know, like VPs engineering and such, and we'll explain how it works. And they go, well, is it AI? I'll be like, I don't know, man. You tell me, I just explain how it works. <laughs> right. And like, what does it matter if you label it AI or not? Yeah. Right. Like we're using machine learning here, here, and here to improve, like to improve the machine's ability to create algorithms. Like, what do you, what do you want? And, and I think like, I think what happened is like a lot of sales teams who sell AI type stuff, they, they have create, they figured out that they can create this sense of mystery about it, that they can like hand wave and be like, Oh, the AI does this and the AI does that. Well, AIs don't do anything, but um, you know, and I think like, we're so used to digesting AI like that, that yeah, I think mm -hmm. even great engineers, smart folks until they, like, there's something about the word AI that makes them feel like it's too big for them. And it's, yeah. it's not, it's just it's not. software. It's the software. What's, what's really interesting, and this is probably oversimplifying AI, it's just another brain that takes information in and puts information back out. It's still a yes, no answer. Exactly. And, and, and a process of going through a thousand yes, no's, just like our brains do. You know, we have programs that are in our head. We have things that we think about when we see a certain situation. Somebody sees a dog and they get, you know, euphoric. Somebody sees a dog and they become anxietous. Two different situations. Why? Programs. Reinforcement learning. Yeah. Yeah. Reinforcement learning. Yeah. You know, somebody sees a dog and thinks Pavlov. Different story. Um, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but in essence, when, when, you can take the, when you can take the mystery and pull it off of the cloud, you know, it, it's like, in certain ways, um, and I, I remember even hearing this in, in certain religions, you know, they're trying to bring the, the, the hierarchy of, of, a, of a being down to man's level because of the age of information. 
they no longer think that he's really that far up. And it's like, well, hold on a second. He's not AI. He's something else. He's something that deals with chaotic math that we still don't understand yet. I mean, if you look at our universe, it's full of chaos. You can't tell me there's not something that's got some laws running out there. Whether you call it, well, whether you call it by a name or you call it by the universe, I don't care what you call it. We have AI, which is a forgive garbage in, garbage out process. It's just a matter of it knows what to look for. It knows how to look for it. And then it spits out the information that you need. I mean, you're, you have a QA process that, that's automated. Nobody has to sit there and, and watch it anymore. What's the, big, what's the big fear of being able to have a tool that can accurately help you with that? Again, when sales guys, like you said, when sales guys go out, they try to create the mystery and woo-woo and here, let's wave a wand, and which is one of the old closes. If I had a wand or you had a magic wand and you could do, well, this does that. Oh, yeah. now, you, now you just told me you have a magic wand. What is this, Harry Potter? Right, yeah. it, 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 it's not as, it no longer becomes easy to sell. <laughs> to sell. Right. So it's, I, there's, there's been a time for this, long time coming uh, as far as what AI can do. Uh, we use it in our marketing, uh, literally, just to be able to, um, just to be able to get people ranked better on Google. You know, yeah. SEO is, used to be a, a completely manual process. Not anymore. Yeah, it um, shouldn't be. Yeah. No, it, it's it. And you know what? It's not that we're trying to keep people from having work. It's we're trying to make their work easier and give them different responsibilities. Give them, give them a chance to expand their own horizons and be more creative. Which I'm sure that's something that you do. I'll always be a technology optimist for that reason. I think, <clears throat> I think one of the things we often forget, um, speak, you know, speaking of which, Mike, Mike is drinking from his Hogwarts mug right now. But um, <laughs> I'm but, a Potterhead, sorry. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, people have always been afraid of technology stealing jobs, and and disruption is something that, like, you know, at a policy level, we have to we have to think about, right? If there is a large mm. disruption in the labor force, that's always something that's like, okay, we need to deal. But like at the end of the day. It was um, up until the Industrial Revolution, um, about 95 to 98% of all human labor was employed in creating and distributing food. Yep. And now it's the opposite. Now we flip it. It's 95 to 98% is not employed in that. And, um, you know, and I think, I think one of the things that we need to think about for like the, the age of AI that's coming is that at least right now, you know, like there's this actually, there's this really good CGP gray video where he's like, AI is actually going to just gonna take everyone's jobs. At which point we also have a policy problem of like, okay, how do we just like take all the productivity of AI and redistribute it in a good, like, it'll be a good thing if it happens. But for, for the foreseeable future, it's ultimately that like AI takes the, uh, the way, the way I like to frame it to people is that, like, if I give you a hammer and a chisel and tell you to go break rocks, right, like, all day, you're going to hate me for it unless I tell you, unless all I'm do, oh, unless what I'm saying is, like, no, 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 break that rock into, like, the most beautiful sculpture you can imagine. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, that sounds great, right? It's still hammering and chiseling rocks all day, but it's, but the difference is in your mind of how engaged your mind is. And the thing that AI is going after next is all the stuff that's, like, not engaging, right? All the stuff that is not creative and promoting to human flourishing um and to your point it's like taking in data using a bunch of experience to like make some decisions with that data and then popping out a decision um and it could do that at scale and all that stuff and like you know fill in spreadsheets for us uh anyway i'm i'm that's that's very excited for the future that's that's the difference between hard labor and hard work mm, yeah yeah agreed 
Yeah. I mean, if, if, since you brought in the rock thing, uh, I mean, if you think about it, hard labor is just being on a chain gang, right. breaking rocks. Hard work is creating something that's beautiful. Exactly. And something you probably, hopefully, are inspired to go do. Exactly. And, awesome. and yeah, coming out of it dusty and sweaty. like And knowing you got something done. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like nobody minds working hard. Nope. And everyone will work hard if they believe. Everyone wants to work hard, in fact. Like everyone wants something worthy of their time. Right. And so like, and that is something, I don't know, like, this is like a, this is a thing of mine is that I think like leaders, especially tech leaders, talent leaders can do a better job helping people align themselves to the work. I don't mean like turn everything into sculpting. I mean, like, I mean that especially in tech, everyone is building cool stuff. If anyone isn't inspired by their work, we just haven't pitched it right because everyone everyone is working on this incredibly like interesting forward thinking, you know, changing the human landscape, changing human endeavor stuff. And I do think putting in the work to help people understand how their goals and their interests and, and the, the eudaimonia that they want from life is aligned with this work that we make available and sometimes change the way that work is done is it has say pays massive dividends for the for the mustache waxing monocle wearing capitalist and it's just more enjoyable to go into work every day absolutely it's it's interesting too that <clears throat> some people forget they sometimes they sometimes think that their work isn't as relevant and yet going back to the sculpture um if you're not doing the whole body but you're responsible for one digit on a hand and you do enough work that somebody can actually feel the texture on that finger, you've done way more than you think. And I think, I think sometimes people forget that, you know, because we get, we get emotionally involved in why am I doing this? What's the purpose? Is it really doing anything for me? If they can separate themselves from the process and really take a look at what it is that they're actually working on, they might find a little more purpose before anxiety if that makes sense i'm gonna real quick share with you like the most radical story of this that i do that do that do that it was from my milk it was when i was consulting for milk factories they would take in raw milk from farms and turn them into bottled milk of various kinds surprisingly complex operation um and i remember there's there's this guy i i i forget his name unfortunately but this is in western pennsylvania old guy hands were all gnarled and curled up like this from years like he couldn't even open his fingers fully because back in the day before automation he had to exactly he had to pick up crates of milk by hand so his fingers were all effed up luckily we have machines to do that now but so because his hands were all messed up and he's like very senior and like very beloved and, a, and very loyal to the company sure. um they're like whatever he, like I, guy was in his 70s but they're like we're gonna make sure you have a job and so he oversaw the blow mold machine the blow mold machine takes in plastic blows out bottles you don't have to do much other than watch it and make sure that it doesn't f up and if it eps up hit the stop button right and like adjust some some knobs to uh to change like the heating parameters and stuff like that anyway he, he sees me, this like 22-year-old young buck, right, running around and he decides he wants to dispense some wisdom. And he says, um, he says, you know, I I, he says he loves his job. I was like, you know, I, I, I didn't go, really? But my brain went, really? <laughs> like, and, and, and I think he saw a little of that in my eyes and he told me um, he has a grand, you know, his, his wife and their granddaughter were like out, um, were out shopping 
at the grocery store. And like grandma was like teaching granddaughter, like, you know, like, here's how food acquisition works in the 21st century. Um, and, and like, here's how to be a quartermaster for your home. And they pass by the milk and grandma says, you know, grandpa makes that. And granddaughter like was like, really? And like, you know, <laughs> eyes pop open. She looks up and she goes, yeah, grandpa makes that. Grandpa works hard every day so that you and I can come here and whenever we need milk, it's right here for us. All we have to do is grab it. And she's like, that's amazing. And he is crying as he's telling me this story sure. because like he understands that's, that's, I think the point you and I are making about like building that alignment between the work and, and our experience of it, because he understands the impact that he has on tables all over Western Pennsylvania. Oh right? yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah. And like, and and so much of what and and that's why i write this whole post about it um on our blog that's why so much of how our relationship with work is in our own minds it has less to do with the material conditions of the work way more to do with how we think about it i'm gonna want that blog link so we can put that in the comments down below because that's, yeah. that's it's relevant cool um we're gonna take a short 30 second break when we come back we're gonna talk a little bit more about where all this passion comes from what inspires and what mo motivates eric and maybe some other stories that are cool because that that was a really cool story dude <laughs> Thanks. um but yeah we'll, we'll be back in 30 seconds and we'll we'll talk more we'll keep this we'll keep this rolling i do that so i know where it's at where to put the brakes um that is a cool fucking story seriously and and i would have probably said the same thing in in my own mind and been like he, i really love my job making <laughs> making bottles what the fuck okay cool it's loud and hot and stinky yeah well plastic yeah, yeah. plastic don't smell good when you heat it nope. <laughs> i don't care where you're at uh yeah I've, I've i've actually played around with that one not in a milk farm uh processing plant but with other plastics um well yeah that's pretty cool just let me clear my head a second i had a couple of thoughts run past and i had i have to remember a couple of things um how's the flow good oh loving it yeah awesome having, a, having an absolute ball good 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 um Okay, cool. Uh, let's keep rolling then. Three shots. Ready? Ready. Back in three, two. And we're back here. Java Chat Coffee with Mike sitting here with Eric Fogg, one of the co-founders of... Oh, and my mind goes freaking blank. That's the best company's <laughs> name. Prod Perfect. Prod Perfect. I knew Perfect was in there. I couldn't remember the first part. Prod Perfect. You know, so if I, our our first investors were like, "You need to change your name," and we were just so attached, we were like, "Absolutely not!" But our our customers have it. They're like, "Production Prod," ah, you know, they get stumble over it. Someday it will change, I'm sure. But it's yet. it's a it's a it's a repetitious thing for branding. That's all it is, bro. And and honestly, Prod Perfect. Now that now that I've said it a couple times, I I will probably also forget it because I won't. But that's different. <laughs> Um, no, prod perfect's not. It's it's actually it's pretty interesting. Um, the name itself comes from where? Uh, it's it's the perfect. The idea is just it's the perfect way to ship to prod, um, or the or or it's like shipping to prod perfectly, and uh, prod being of course the production server. So it's really just about that. It's like oh, okay, you you want your your deployment to be perfect, call prod perfect. And, Got it. Yeah. 
that makes absolute freaking sense. Um, by the way, if you're if you're in tech and you're an engineer and you're looking for something to check your QA, we'll be talking more about this later. But oh, cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we need to we need to make sure people understand what it is you guys do. Um, you got into this obviously by being convinced by your partner. Once you got in, what were some of the aha moments you had as you brought on new talent? What were some of the things that got you like, ooh, we need to we need to take care of that? Oh man, um, <laughs> so many. I think one of them, especially now since you mentioned talent, a few things come to mind. One of them is that um, every, I think every first time founder learns this the hard way. Um, and so if you're going to be a first time founder, this is just like a warning. This is going to happen to you is that your first employees that you get on, they, they have a certain like tenacity and scrappiness that you really need early on. And, uh, and, and you get very attached to them because like they came in with a super high risk and, and super, uh, you know, and, and there wasn't a lot of money and stuff like that. And the hardest thing is that for, for them and you, for like you, the founders, and for them, the early employees, everyone, essentially like everyone that was there before the seed round, like before you raise a couple million dollars, for them to like be a major part of the future, everyone needs to change. Everyone needs to radically change at least the way that they do work or like the parts of themselves or the strengths they're leaning on in the organization. And especially like for that, that scary word scaling. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is very true in engineering. Like we had, you know, we had like a very scrappy, just like find a way to get it done, built this like monstrosity of a backend that we had to like redo in a much more disciplined way. Um, and so like the reason I'm bringing this up, I don't know, there, there are a couple stories I actually don't want to share, but the, the, what the out, the, the outcome of it was that we had to have some tough conversations with ourselves and with each other about like, we need to like we need to let go of these habits that had been successful for us in the past and do something new and and there were people who got it that need to be reminded sometimes there were people who got it who led the way and there were people who were very resistant to it and the people who were very resistant to it do not work at the company anymore sure um and they weren't fired it just it, it ended up like just being so much grind that actually everyone decided like you know, F, you know, like, I don't want to work with Dan anymore kind of thing because yeah. Dan's telling me what to do and that's not what I signed up for. And, and it was because, it was because that change, that change didn't occur, that, that pivot didn't occur. And I hate the word pivot, but, um, uh, but, and, and I think one thing that I wish we had done better that, we, well, sorry, I wish, one thing I wish we knew back then was letting everyone know who's part of the early team. Like, look, we're in the wild west now, right? Which means like, run around with guns and like, you know, and, and being heroes, but soon you have to be building towns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Excuse me. And so you need to be ready to just change on a dime what you're doing and what you focus on and what strengths you rely on. And I, I wish we'd warn people that ahead of time. That was a, that was a big thing for us is, uh, is, is, and of course, you only know this at early. You can only learn this at early stage startups because no other company changes that fast. Right. Yeah. And it's and it's a it's a progressive thing. If, oh yeah, it doesn't if, happen once. If yeah, if if people are aware of it, as as you said, and yes, we've all same. Um, if people are aware of it, <clears throat> mentally they're easier, they're easier going when the change hits. 
and they'll, they'll they'll hit the resistance and they'll go what the hell's going on oh this is what this is what eric was talking about this is that this is that spot this is that point you know these are these are these are times and they come in companies all the time whether established or, or startup, it doesn't matter. I mean, even the even the big corporations hit it every once in a while. And, and unfortunately for them, it takes them a lot longer to pivot. Yes, I don't exactly enjoy that word either. It's kind of cliche these days. Um, but when, because you know, it's like turning the Titanic in a tub. Right. When 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 you when you do get to that point of okay, <clears throat> we're sitting on a sandbank, we're not going anywhere. We got to back up and head a different direction when people are mentally prepared for it, um, it's easier for them to process right. and, and make the adjustments. Yeah, and what, and what that reminded me of was I, I felt like early, early on, Dan and I, Dan and I acted like our VCs knew more than we did, or we thought, we believed implicitly that our VCs knew more than we did. You know, they've, they've helped a lot of companies scale to IPO and such, they know what they're doing. And, um, and it's not to say that they're not brilliant, because actually, I hear a lot of people gripe about their VCs, and our VCs have been great. So uh, I, as far as in my, in my N equals one experience of startups here, I, I'm very happy so far, but, um, or not quite N equals one, but N equals one at this scale. <laughs> and, and uh, but, but it, what we had to, what we had to figure out the hard way was that our VCs VCs are like the job of the venture capitalist is very different from the job of the founder and the things, the skills that they need to be good at are very different. And one thing they can do is they can give advice about patterns. Their yeah. job is to find patterns and identify patterns and identify like where those patterns are changing or where they should be breaking. Um, but they have this sense that like, oh, okay, basically like here's how everyone else that I've seen be successful does it. And like, that is the basis of their, that's the basis of their advice. And what, what I think was interesting about me and Dan was we were so far out of, like, I know a lot of people who want to be founders and they spend a lot of time studying this stuff. We were, we were, we were, we were not in that mode. We were like, we were, before we founded this company, we were just like focused on whatever we were focused on. Um, uh, not spending time reading about how Airbnb started or that. And, and what that means is that we were like surprisingly ignorant about a lot of these moments through your growth. And what it meant was we did stuff that we did stuff that like shattered a bunch of rules and our VCs were like, why are you doing this? I was like, I don't know. It seemed like the right thing to do at the time. They're like, don't you know, you never do that. I was like, why would I, I haven't run a company before. And, <laughs> and basically what happened is like, we did all this stuff that was actually really, um, uh, it was, it was like very goofy and weird. Uh, and I'll, I'll share a couple of examples. Um, and it's because we didn't know we weren't, a not, we weren't, sorry, we didn't know we weren't allowed to, or we, yeah, we didn't know we were not allowed to do this. So we just did it and it worked. So a good example is internally, everyone's total compensation package is transparent. Everyone knows that everyone makes. And, that's, high, that's highly unusual. Right. Yeah. And, and well, and I knew it wasn't normal, but like, I figured, you know, because I hadn't, hadn't been in my previous companies, but I was like, this makes it, you know, and I was thinking about like recruiting and equity and such. And like, one of the problems that people have is like, oh, are like, you know, are people of color getting paid the same as, you know, people who are white? And I was like, okay, well, let's just show what everyone's getting paid. Right. That way nobody has to worry about it. Right. You don't have to. And like, and here's the database that we got your salary from. So you don't have to worry about whether I'm lowballing you. Right. You don't have to worry about like, you know, run around and like trying to negotiate with me, but like, this is the database, right? Use option impact. This is the database. This is what you make. You're in this role. Right. It's that simple. Um, we do this with offers now too. We just show people where we got the number from. They're like, look, I'm not lowballing you. I just picked it right out of here. It's right here. And 
Um, and so it's been great. It's been awesome <laughs> because, because like people don't, people don't like people don't try to power negotiate, um, with me about offers because, because they go like, well, this is what the market says the job's worth. And, um, uh, and it's also great. And, and, and that sounds evil, except that I'm not lowballing people, right? I'm giving them what the market says they're worth. Um, and it means that like, we don't have that angst internally. And yeah. when our VCs first found out about this, they freaked out. Yeah, sure. Because they're like, oh my, you know, cause they can't even imagine what the impact on that could be. And I think you have to have the right kind of culture for it. Um, that's a part of it. That's definitely a part of it. Yeah. But, uh, but it's been great for us so far. So they're like, that's just like one of the ways that we just like keep finding that we've been breaking the rules this whole time, um, in ways that I never really enjoy. I think, I think as scale occurs, the culture will have to adjust. Cause I, you're, that, you're even, cause even though you're being fair, you're always going to have the detractors that will seep into the culture. This is, yeah. this is just the rule of averages. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're, their awareness of it is more to the aversion of that wanting to have that kind of toxicity enter the culture, which is why they, which is why they say you never do that, right. but you've created a culture of transparency where there's nothing toxic in it because everybody's like, ah, eh, well, I know what you make. I don't care. I'm making. Okay. They, they showed us, they've been honest. What am I worried about? Yeah. Most companies that's not, that's in fact 99, cause I'm sure there's a couple of other wonderful unicorns like yours, 99 or 98% of the companies out there won't. In fact, they right. tell you, you don't share what your compensation package is with anybody else. Right. Me personally, I would care less. You want to know how much I make? Cool. You want to know why I make it? Here's my skill sets. This is what I bring to the company. Right. Can you do what I do? Okay. Well, I respect you what you do and I can't do what you do. So please keep doing what you do because if you don't, I can't. Yeah. It's, I think, it's, it's a machine. It's one of the reasons I, I like using <clears throat> that market data. I, I mean, I use it because I wanted people pay people fairly, but yeah, but the reason I like using that market data and make it very clear that we based on that is that it also depersonalizes yeah. salary where we go like, look, this has nothing to do with like what I think your value and badassery as a human is. This is like primarily driven by supply and demand of certain skill sets, right? And this skill set that this guy over here has, who's the highest paid person in the company. And by the way, the top five highest paid people, sorry, the top eight highest people paid in the company don't have a C in their title. Yeah. Right. Because that, because like, turns out, turns out wannabe founders are, are a dime a dozen. Right. And, you know, but like certain engineers are extraordinarily rare. So the market, it, there's low supply, high demand, right? We know how that works. And, yeah. and so it means that people like, don't take it, don't take it personally. And people see that, like, you know, there, hopefully there will come a day where I am the highest paid person in the company, but, but it's a, it's a long way away. Or, or and, one of, or one of them at least. Or yeah. one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's probably a long way away. So says the market. And, yeah. um, <clears throat> and so, and, and so I think this helps people understand, like it helps people helps this team of people with who are part of an exceptional culture process and understand, okay, here's why. And like armed with, you know, cause we don't just release it. Like we talked about it too. And I think that's one of the things you had to learn regarding transparency is you can't just bomb information out there that nobody's ever seen before and expect them just to figure it out. You have to say, okay, Hey, I'm going to release everyone's everyone's salaries and I'm going to do it live with you guys in a meeting and talk you through it. It's basically giving people intellectual perspective. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. When, yeah, when you I, offering perspective is one thing when it's only you offering intellectual perspective is when everybody can see it. Yes. yes. Yeah. 
that's a it's a oh boy you just you bring out a, a good one that really needs to change in corporate culture but we're not going to see that for a while because again turning the titanic in the tub is it takes a long time um but it would probably i need to share this particular podcast with a couple of my friends who are in hr it's it's um I'm trying to think I'm trying to think of the best analogy for it. There are like great analogies in history where countries or armies or something held on to something whose or held on to like a policy or something whose efficacy was degrading mm -hmm. for them over time mm -hmm. because making the switch was very risky and painful. Making the switch to the thing that was like moving in the right direction is very risky or painful. Um uh I, I think like the uh, yeah, for example, I mean, during the like age of revolution in the 1800s, right, you had countries hanging on to despotism, right, mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. embracing liberalism because they're like, oh my god, what happens if we like let people vote, right? Like, this is scary, and you know, and it is scary, right? Like, we kind of laugh about it now, but it is scary, right? Like, this person never went to school, you let them decide who runs the country seriously and so it is a little frightening and but like hanging on to despotism as you know like it was hanging on to a sinking ship and a lot of countries suffered deeply for it because making that jump was very scary and i think the the thing we need to the thing i want to acknowledge is that it's one of the great i think it's one of the reasons startups make sense because otherwise economically they seem crazy right yeah. you have yeah. no resources and you're gonna go up against this company they could just crank out your product next week it's like ah but they won't and i know they won't because because they're they're calcified in all these ways, um, and there's just too much momentum, uh, and so and so I think like similarly with culture, it's one of the things we don't think about as much. Certainly, one of the things VCs don't ask about is they ask about how's your product different, and how are you going to build that and build the moat. But like, how is your company different, and how are you going to run it in a way that makes it um, consistently nimble and consistently you know consistently access top talent um they just kind of abstract that like oh there's a talent war it's like wait a minute but if we win it we'll win everything right like strategy is great but like we need people who can do this so you're not asking me my plans to win the talent war before you give me money that's crazy yeah right because i have the opportunity to do anything i want you should know what my plans are um anyway i'm i'm going off in a bit of a tangent here but like definitely a big part of our fundraising over the last couple of years has me been going like wait a minute, aren't you curious how we're going to get all these cool machine learning people in the most competitive labor market that has ever existed in the history of man? Yeah. They're like, oh, that is a good idea. I'm like, yes, like we should be talking about this. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you, especially because of the industry that you're in, where it's highly, highly specialized, Yeah, you cannot not have a plan. Right. Um, they're their personalities are special as well. Yeah. And if you're not akin to what that can mean, especially when you have to put them into teams, <laughs> then manage that. Not them, but that, the yeah. team, yeah. Uh, which is interesting. I still, I still hear people, how do you manage them? It's like, well, I don't manage them. I manage it. I, I, think, I think sometimes we get so far into it. How do you manage them? Well, now you're talking about managing the human. They can manage themselves. Yeah. They're big people. And if they can't, they'll move themselves out. Yeah. I mean, the, the honest truth is that's that's and that's some of the old thinking. I've all I've always I've always 
I don't talk much about it, but since the ideology, the ideology was brought up, the difference between conservatism and liberalism and how right now there's such a friction between the two. And I says, actually, they need each other and they know it, the real ones. Conservatives and liberals do realize, the real ones know, I cannot move forward without that thinking. And the other ones know, like, I cannot, I cannot continue moving forward without some restraint. Because if I do, I'll be running off into a, a, a wild, wild blue yonder that could cause some serious problems. True ones will understand that. And they will have conversations and they'll have dissent and they'll have debates and they'll, they'll come to a conclusion where it can move forward. Um, right now, obviously, we're not seeing that in our country. It's, there's a lot of, my biggest problem is there's a lack of compassion. There's a lack of empathy. That's just my thought. I'm, but, I'm, I'm going to declare I'm not even going to get started. I actually release a podcast twice a month on polit- on partisanship in the United States called Reconsider. Yeah. It is, that's my like side hobby. <laughs> I talk about this stuff all day. We could like, we could totally hijack this show, but we won't. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that on another show if you want. Um, the, but the idea too, again, that goes back into when you're looking at managing talent, um, finding, managing and, and supporting and inspiring you cannot manage the person you must manage the team and the team must be allowed also to have equity in that management not as a you're you're you guys you know uh what is it um the inmates are running the asylum not that but in a manner where uh as a manager or as a project manager or director or whatever that you're able to look from above and say what if we went this way and then let them talk amongst each other, come back and go, here's what we thought about that. This is what we think would work. All right, try something. I'm, I'm really glad you said the word inspire because sometimes people will ask me like how I motivate people. I go like, oh God, I don't, mm-hmm. right? Like motivation is like intrinsic motivation is one of the things that we recruit for. And if you don't have it, it's not going to work out. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the three things we look for, by the way, are ethics, motivation and coachability and um yeah and and you need to inspire motivated people people who are fundamentally motivated like you need to show you know like i love there's this term like you know you want if you want talented people to like build you a ship like don't give them a bunch of wood and hammers and say like here's a blueprint for a ship like make them yearn for the open sea and which i think is like a little heavy-handed but the idea is it's it's there to yearn for the open sea when they get here like but like, let's show them where we're going and like, okay, you're a, you know, like you're this role, like here's how, here's how your talent can make this thing happen, you know, can help make this thing happen. Um, and, and yeah, but like motivating people to do work, like, ugh, you know, and like, for example, like we don't, <laughs> we, we radically, we like seriously actually don't track um, <clears throat> how much time people spend at work. We don't, I don't know when people are around unless they're in a meeting. Um, we have minimum vacation. That is our policy. We have a minimum vacation policy. And it's because like, th- if there's one thing I'm not worried about with this team, it's about whether they're going to work hard enough. I'm ze- I will, I, uh, maybe someday I will lose hold of the culture, but like, my God, that has been like the one of all the things that could go wrong. That has been one of them that will knit that has, that I have no fear about because these are all highly motivated people. And we've done the work of helping them see mm. how, hard work for them translates into stuff that they care about both their personal gain and their impact on the world. And it's like, of course they're going to run at it. Right. 
Like people don't join, you know, people don't like become talented engineers and join tech companies because like the thing that they really want to do is just like goof around and watch sitcoms. All <laughs> yeah. That's a different kind of corporate culture. Mm. Well, that's, that's the antiquated version, which is why they have the uh, no cell phones at your desk policy. Exactly. And that's, I think that's a great example of them like hanging on oh, yeah. to this old way that is now in decline because what happens is those very policies that they use, the, the very policies that they have to try to like manage low motivation people or people who are like not aligned and motivated in the business, because it's not any motivation is an intrinsic thing. It's something you develop, but like people like, you know, you have a team of people who aren't motivated. If you believe you're stuck with them, what are the policies you enact? Yeah. No cell phones at your table. You're never going to get a highly motivated person. Ever ever with these kinds of policies and so the thing is you trap yourself in the very thing that you like hate having by trying to control it rather than having the courage to say we gotta change everything yeah yeah you have you have created the box that people are being told don't be in exactly and at that and at that point when you've closed the door on that box you've now created somebody who's bitter and is only coming to collect a check yep and and, and so you like try to clamp down even harder. I mean, like, I, I love like the history of revolutions as I mentioned, but like, and it's, it's just like, there's so many good examples of like leaders not understanding that change is happening. And so the tighter they clamp down, the more they spell their own doom. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I was just on, um, I listened to masterclass and there, um, I can't remember her name, but she talks about leadership and she talks about the different presidents that she's done studies on and, Every one of them is very much, you know, this is what we need to get done. I don't care how we get there, even if it means changing the culture of things, even if it means changing people around me, if it means changing the idea, but the main focus needs to happen. Then they start looking for people that can help make it happen. Um, I think, and I might be misquoting this, but I think FDR used to have Tuesday night cocktails where he would invite a whole bunch of people over to the White House and for, for Tuesday night cocktails. You could not talk about anything that was going on in the world. No world, no world issues. We were in the middle of a war. Couldn't talk about it. You could talk about anything else. Talk about your family, talk about your favorite hobbies. You could talk anything. It was just so that he could get a break from all the craziness that he had to deal with. Maybe more leaders need to do that because I think a lot of them have a tendency to forget that they have to have a break too. Do you ever see that? Totally. And I think one of the reasons that I see that I've, I've seen it in myself. Um, Same. And I think one of the reasons I see that is that, you know, when you, when you do something like run a company, decide to run a company, you start to realize the gravity of it once you start taking on money and employees. And you're like, oh God, I'm telling all these people to like hitch their boats to me and I'm going to like take them to the promised land. And so you start to feel like, you start to feel this like this weight of responsibility on your shoulders that is that is at times overwhelming. Um, and I think, I think one of the mistakes we frequently make is that we take on too much responsibility. Like investors should, you know, like investors need to be good investors. Employees need to, you know, but, but we take on too much at times. The, 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 the fallacious thinking that I run into that I see others run into is that, oh, taking a break is a sign of weakness. 
Um, like if I was stronger, if I was tougher, I could just keep working forever. And, and so we don't want to like, we don't basically, we don't want to admit weakness or we don't want to coddle weakness. And so, uh, you know, it's like, well, maybe I can like habituate myself to working harder because like there have been times in my life where I've been motivated to work harder and not as motivated to work as hard. And that fallacious thinking, I think makes us resistant to like, okay, I need a break. The way that I finally changed that in myself and my own leadership team was doing a lot of reading about learning, um, learning development growth. And it turns out that it's not that you need a break per se. It's not that you need to relax per se. Um, like my breaks are all very active. Like uh, some people, you know, take break, are more physically active. Mine are all mentally active. Like I go like craft stuff and nice. um, or or like or or like play complex strategy games or something, right? Like my brain's still very active. The point is what those breaks do is they allow processes that are in our brain that we don't control consciously to to process things to synthesize to develop to marinate those breaks make us more creative those breaks help us solve problems right like einstein himself like like what i actually kind of hate I, I used to watch like house the tv show and one of the things that drove me nuts is he'd be like sitting there staring at a board throwing his stupid tennis ball um, until he had the great, the great insight, but the great, it's like the, there's a reason ha insights happen in the shower. Yeah. They don't happen when you're staring at the board, tearing your hair out. They don't. <laughs> right. And it's because like, that's just not how the brain operates. Insights happen in background processes that we don't control that we can only allow to happen when we like, let go a little bit of the thing we're trying to solve. And, and it's when we got that in our company, we started embracing like, I finally convinced the, the leadership team to put like no mind time. This gets a little Zen, but like no mind time in their calendars. We're like, I'm paying you to like walk outside and do nothing, right? Mm -hmm. I don't just mean don't take meetings, but like grind away mm -hmm. on your expense report or whatever. Not that we really do expense reports, but like grind away on this, whatever. I mean, like walk outside and do nothing. Like listen to a book. I don't care. Um, and it's made us more creative for it. So anyway, I, that's why I think we're bad at taking breaks and why I think we need to. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with that. And it's still one that I have to fight with myself over because <clears throat> it is what it is. We have businesses to run and sometimes it's a lot of the work is still on my shoulders as far as, as the boutique agency that we have. We don't have a lot of employees at all. Right. Um, but it's like there's moments in time where I have to get up get away from the desk and go out to the the patio and just chill out in the sunlight for a minute, get some vitamin D and come back. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's sporadic, but it, it does allow for remembering what I have at my disposal rather than just this, yeah. you know, the, the noggin's good for so much. We have, we have tools now, thanks to guys like you, we have tools that actually work. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of new stuff out there on the market that can make life easier for us. And again, it's to encourage the ability for our creativity to be more creative rather than taking a job. And I think that's a lot of what people are missing. It's like, they worry about manufacturing jobs are going to go away because robots are going to take it. Well, who's going to who's going to maintain the robot? Who's going to think of the new programs for the robots? Who's going to make sure that the parts show up for the robots? Who's going, and I know that's, that's kind of begging the question. But at the same time, it's like, it's a progression that's happening. The newer generations will come up and they'll take the place of the old generations. Welcome to humankind. As that happens, better things will, better things will happen. 
better thoughts will come along, better inspirations will come along. But if we don't have the culture for it, like you said, it becomes really tough. Yeah, and that that resistance that 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 resistance has been has been every age of history that things have changed. People have been like, "Oh my god, it's going to be a disaster!" Like, imagine if you and I were having this conversation in 1750, and I was like the wacky technostradamus that was like, "You know how 95 percent of people are making food right now? Well, in 200 years, it's going to be five. And like everyone's first thought would be like, oh my God, 90% of people are just going to like be on the streets starving because what other jobs are there? There's making food. That's what we do, right? And and we can't, the thing is like, we can, we have to accept that we cannot imagine the implications of these changes in the future, right? And so like people, people who are predicting doom, what they do is they hold everything about society fixed and they change just one thing. Right. This is why I hate Black Mirror. I think Black Mirror is a garbage show because it takes every it's like everything about that, everything about society and everything about our culture is exactly the same. We change this one thing by a lot. And wouldn't it be bad? It's like, well, yeah, it would. If you change right? that one thing only. Yeah, if you just change that one <laughs> thing and like there's no such thing as adaptation or like other things changing around it, like of course it would be bad. Um, and so like same with automation, right? Like, oh my god, if we automate away 30% of people's jobs and nothing else changes, it would be bad. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> of, course, of course it would be bad yeah it would but thankfully that's not how things work um right <laughs> what would be interesting though um and this is i'm not sure if this because it's been a little bit since i've been around them what would be interesting though is that if the accelerators and the incubators had a bit of a collective to talk to each other a little more often than they do um and it's it's it comes down to do you guys share what new technologies are coming out so that when you come across somebody that has an idea that you think may not fit, all of a sudden it does? Well, that's, uh, I, that's this may relate to our this may relate to our holding on to something versus yeah. like letting it go and embracing something new because of course like that's you know VCs are in very fierce competition oh, yeah. right now. Oh, there yeah. is more money than there are good startups, and well, again um, that and, that that goes back to. They're, they're, they're the money guys. That's cool. They're not the accelerator incubator. Uh, I'm talking about the guys that run those. If they had a collective yeah. where they could sit there and go, Hey, somebody's coming up with this. What could this, what, what other things could possibly come around that gives them a chance to go and look for other ideas that could supplement the changes that will come with that one. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey guys, we're going to take another quick 30 second break. We'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Prod Perfect and a little bit more about what Eric is at. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Whatever. Shut up. Um, <laughs> what, what, what also Eric is going to be up to here shortly back in 30. And we're back. Last section here, hanging out with Eric Fogg of Prod Perfect. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the company again, just to give people an idea. We did talk about it in the beginning, but it, what is Prod Perfect? Who's yeah. it best for? Who does it serve? And how do people find you? So Prod Perfect is we're we're a software company. We and sorry, we are we're a product company. We build products, right? We're not like a, a a firm or an outsource shop or anything. What our product does is it autonomously builds, maintains, and evolves end-to-end -end tests for web applications. So normally you'd have a QA team do this. A QA yes. team would think about what tests to build. They build them, they maintain them, they evolve them. These are like Selenium tests, right? Right. Okay. These like big beefy browser automation tests. Very important, but but very clunky traditionally. Um, very expensive to build and maintain. And nobody, you know, as we talked about with sculpting, nobody likes it, right? Like yeah, nobody, right? Exactly. nobody becomes an engineer to like fix Selenium <laughs> selectors all day. Um, and 
they do, so they're we, weird. Right, yeah. And we do that. I was like, yeah, there's like that one guy with yeah. the show. He's like, hey, I love that. <laughs> so, what I live for. He's <laughs> yeah, taking my job. And so, and so, um, so we autonomously do that. So customers plug us in. And the way we do it is we learn how the users use their application. And so we're learning like what the workflows are, what's important to their user. So we're able to produce not just tests, but well-prioritized ones because we know what's important to test and what's like a wacky edge case. Right. Um, and no, what's cool is like nobody else has access to that information. That information also is what allows us to do it, do it autonomously. Nice. And so the, the folks who buy us, you might normally think they'd be like QA leads, but um, I actually think, you know, as you can tell, probably as you can tell from what I said, a big part of the way I think about the world is I think that there are people who are who are like in positions where they tend to be very attached to old ways of thinking and letting go seems dangerous. What we learned was that VPs, engineering and CTOs, people whose job it is to push the front, push the, the horizon or push the envelope. Those are our buyers. Nice. In particular, it is folks who understand that a big bulky end-to-end -end testing suite is going to get in the way of them deploying fast enough. Got right? it. You want to deploy 20 times a day, you can't have 500 tests in your end-to-end -end testing suite. Um, we're able to help you with that uh, by you doing nothing, which is cool. So that's who buys us. If you're, if you're like, if you're, you know, I don't know, you're like Carta or something, you're yeah, building yeah, a web yeah. application, VP engineering should, should hit us up. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a great thing. Um, the, the, the mere fact that something like that exists is, is amazing. So as far as you are concerned, Eric Fogg, the man. <laughs> what what are you up to? I mean, they, I, obviously you're you're on a podcast where um, you are you speaking anywhere anytime soon on what's going on? I mean, you, you're at the front edge of of machine learning and AI. So, uh, any conferences you're talking at or anything? And, and if and if not, why? Um, yeah. But what 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 other things are you up to? I so I have like the reverse Woody Allen problem, like. Or no, sorry. I've, I currently have the Woody Allen problem. I don't want to talk at any conference that would have me <laughs> come talk at it. Um, just because like, I'm not cool enough yet. I'm not big enough yet. And I, I've done it a little bit before. And, um, and there are like a lot of people go to in this like kind of old corporate model, go to conferences in order to like have a way to like waste their time and get paid to do it. Um, and this is true. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's super true. It's and, I'm, true. <laughs> and, and so like most conferences really bite. And so actually I stay away from conferences right now. I would love to be invited to some of like the really cool ones where, where it's actually a lot of people getting together that who, with the intent of like, I'm going to go learn what other people are thinking about for the future. So I can be part of it. And so I will go when I go to those conferences, but for Thanks. now, I, I keep all of our thought, I'm actually pivoting more and more and more towards thought leadership. I am the chief revenue officer and they should do a few other things. So like I have to worry about sales, but my, my leaders in sales and media marketing have like developed so much that they're taking over more and more nice. and putting me in a better position to be able to sure. talk, talk about the future and like, nice. and, and there's a whole marketing, of course, there's like a whole marketing strategy involved with like why I'm on podcasts all the time and everything, but not all the time, more often. Um, but I do get the, like, I think I get to, I, I feel like kind of like the luckiest guy in the world right now. Cause like I was, I was the sales guy, right? Yeah. Like early on, I was individual Thalia and I actually don't like sales all that much. Um, it's just, I was the like least engineering person and therefore I kind of drew the short straw. Right. Um, now my, my job is pivoted more and more to like two things. One, find and inspire, like inspire, inspire, recruit and develop great team inspire recruit and develop great customers 
Um, and so I spent a lot of time on that inspiring and it means I can spend a lot of time thinking. I can spend a lot of time having like very cool conversations, like help people challenge their own thinking again, whether they're my team or customers. Um, and I get to spend a lot of time trying to proselytize, right? I'm a bit of an evangelist in my role, nice, trying nice. to proselytize that the future is going to be different. And I think like one of the things you and I talked about was trajectory early on. Yep. And I didn't say this, but I am absolutely convinced this is true. In five years, nobody will be will hire a QA engineer again. Very it possible. just won't happen. Very and possible. And like, you'll either, and like everyone will either, well, by then we'll be using ProdPerfect or a ProdPerfect competitor should it ever arise. And like the question, the question everyone who like encounters us needs to ask is, do I do that now or do I do it later? Like the idea that you're going to like want people to manually do this is a, it will be as silly as wanting, like there are some people who need on-prem, but like as, but for most folks, it would be as silly as saying like, oh, I'm going to hire my IT team to manage my server farm. Like, of course you're not. You're going to buy AWS or Azure or whatever, right? Yep. Again, with some exceptions. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and, so, and so what's cool is I know this is the future. I'm trying to help some other people figure out as that, like when the time to change is right, to like yep. let go of the old and jump yep. over to the new, yep. what's the right time for you? That's my job. It's That's cool. awesome. That's an awesome job. Sounds like you got more than just chief rev. Sounds like chief inspiration, chief evangelical, all that stuff. You, you... I'm like one of those like tin pot dictators where yeah. I have like all sorts yeah, of yeah. unearned medals all over my chest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nobody knows what they're for, but they're there. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> That's the best. Cool. So people can find you on uh, the normal places, LinkedIn, um, Prod Perfect, I would assume has a company page on, on LinkedIn as well. So yeah, I, I think the best places to look, if you're look look, if you're if you're like, oh, this product seems cool, right? Go to propperfect.com. Like the page is designed to send you to the right place to figure nice. out how to buy the thing. Right? Okay, cool. Um, but if you want to like, if you want to hear more about what I think, or like even better, if you want to argue with me, nice. which I love, um, <laughs> uh, you our blog is cool. So propperfect.com slash blog. Um, everything I write ends up on there at some point. Um, and uh, LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, the, the way to do it is LinkedIn.com slash I N slash okay. Eric Fogg, E R I K F O G G. Um, mm -hmm. I post like controversial opinions on there all the time. Cause I like, you know, cause like being provocative turns out it's good for marketing. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but, <clears throat> but everything I post, I actually believe. So people like, people like getting in arguments with me. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so I welcome, <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, you're like, wow, this guy's an idiot. And he's like, good thing. He's not in charge of anything. Cause he'd kill us all. Come tell me. <laughs> now that, my friends, is an invitation. <laughs> it's, it's not often you get a guy who will stand up in front of a crowd, pull out a pull out a small a small small to medium sized sheet sword, and go, "Who wants to fight?" Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's kind of rare. <laughs> I I learn the most. I learn the most from people who disagree with me. Right? Everyone's like, "Wow, you're That's... right, Eric." Like, it's dangerous to surround oneself with them. I actually want you know, like Lincoln's team of rivals thing, right? Like I want people calling me on my BS. Yeah, but it's, and, and that's just it too, is we don't know what we don't know until we talk to somebody who knows otherwise. And hopefully both sides learn. And again, this comes back to the conservative versus liberal thing. Indeed, I would not be practicing anything of what I preached if I did not invite people to tell me I'm an idiot. Yeah, well, and, and it's, the, it's the, yeah, it's, yeah, got it. Cool. Want to thank you very much, Eric, for coming and spending some time with me. Um, our my coffee's done, so I have to go get another cup. I'm sure yours is about over. So, yep, there we go. Um, and yours is in a mason jar, even better. I love I it. I know I'm such a Silicon Valley. No, nah, dude, it's, it's 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 all good, bro. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, it, 
guys namaste, again man. namaste <laughs> everybody just so you remember all the links are down below uh, where you can find Eric where you can find Proud Perfect uh, make sure you follow them uh, make sure you you know engage with them on the blog engage with Eric on his profile uh, you had the invitation of argument if you wish go for it um, if you're watching us on YouTube whoops that way there's a subscribe button and a, I keep forgetting I'm mirrored and then there's a little button that has a bell on it. Make sure you hit that too. That way you know when we get another awesome guest like Eric coming on uh, Java Chat, hanging out. If you're listening to us on any of the podcast platforms, download, subscribe, check it out, you know, save it as a favorite. Uh, if you're listening to us on Anchor, we do have listener, uh, listener support enabled. We'd love some support. We could use it. Uh, at the same time, that's really not my biggest one. My biggest one is you guys took the time to listen to this. You had to have gotten something out of it. You probably know two or three people that can also get a lot out of it. Send them the link. Let them hear it too. Let them watch it too. This is done for you guys to be able to find inspiration, find information, find, you know, learn from other, the other people that are out there actually doing it. Make use of it. Share it with your friends and your colleagues. Especially if they'll disagree. Oh, yes. All day. Uh, you'll be disagreeing with Eric, not me. because that's <laughs> the, And if you, if you have questions, make sure you post them down. Uh, in the in the comments below, um, Eric will have the link so he can come back and check. I'll it actually come back and take a look. Yeah, so, <laughs> let's go. yeah it, let's let's go. Um, by all means, thank you for making the time and taking the time to come and watch and listen. Um, make sure you take care of each other and stay up, stay safe, stay healthy, and live. For myself, coffee with Mike and Eric Fogg. Ciao for now. Be awesome to each other and party on, dudes. Oh, it's excellent. Oh, I blew that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you, everyone. For more information on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening to Coffee with Mike on Java Chat. Tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode. You can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. A production of Oasis Media Group, LLC. Located in Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.